How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I hope you had an awesome 4th of July weekend, and I'm glad to have you back. I've got a great episode for you today, and it's a little bit different. My guest is blowing up right now on TikTok and Instagram because of a video that he posted a few months ago on TikTok where he showed a manhole cover inside of his house, and he opened it up, and underneath was an eel pit that he has converted his rainwater cistern into. I had to have this guy on and he was gracious enough to accept my invitation. So this conversation was cool. We talked about obviously the eel pit, his passion for marine animals, and he was also willing to talk to me about captive animals and, you know, where that line should be drawn. I obviously, uh, if you listen to the podcast, just recently had Phil Demers on and if you know anything about Phil, or if you want to go back and listen to that episode, uh, we talked a lot about the horrors of captive uh, marine mammals and other animals, really, just in general, being in captivity. And so I asked my guest his thoughts on that, and I was really actually interested and caught off guard with his response. So, you know, this episode's got it all. It's got some very interesting and strange stories, as well as some good information. We talked about the Everglades and the overwhelming snake and invasive fish population that are devastating that uh, ecosystem in South Florida. And we talked about all kinds of cool stuff. So hope you enjoy this episode. Give it up for my guest, Nick Tobler. But before we enjoy this episode, a quick shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. Head to the website, drinkaction.com. That's action spelled with a K and use code word curious to save 15% off any purchase from the website. And if you sign up for a subscription, you'll save an additional 20%. We have specialty roast coffee, whole bean, ground, or K-cup, any roast you can imagine, and natural supplements, things like CBD, turmeric, MCTs, and a bunch of apparel. And we've got some other cool stuff happening. We have a very exciting announcement to share with everybody about a retail location that will be opening here in the next couple of months. Stay tuned for that, but get your specialty roast coffee now on the website. Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, and enjoy the episode. Well, man, I appreciate you making such a quick turnaround and hopping on a podcast with me. Oh yeah, no problem. I've been doing interviews all week. I can imagine. And it's crazy to say this because the show's called The Curious Jones and I really just like having interesting conversations and I've had a lot of them, but this is like the most curious I've ever been about anything. And you're probably hearing that a lot with all these interviews, but let's maybe just start there, man. Like how has this whole thing happened and maybe back it up even, right? You're, you're pretty big right now on TikTok, Instagram, social media. Was that a planned thing or did this just take off like wildfire? Uh, so I've been doing it for years. Like I've like, I've always been posting, like go back a year ago, what I was posting on Instagram. I think it's way cooler than this even. Um, but yeah, no, it just blew up suddenly uh, with the eel pit. What's your background? Have you always just been an animal lover? And yeah, what, like maybe um, walk yeah. me through that. Take me to so, the beginning. So more than anything, I do it all myself. Um, like I tried to go to college for biology. I failed chemistry twice and then switched to a media degree. 
Um, but like ever since I was a kid, I was going out in the woods, uh, chasing animals, catching things, um, seeing what I could find. And then if it was really interesting, I'd take it home to keep as a pet for a while. Um, so I've always had like aquariums, like native fish is probably one of like the biggest things I do. Um, go and collect fish to keep as pets. Um, and that worked perfect with the, uh, eel pit. Um, but yeah, I've always been doing it. Um, and I've always been sharing it on social media too. Um, like my YouTube, I think goes back to, I think it goes back before I was in high school even. Okay. Um, just cause I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I'm going to see cool animals. So I might as well document that part of it. Um, I always just wanted, eh, look, this thing's cool. I'll throw that out there. Which, um, part, so of, which part of, sorry to interrupt you, which part of the country do you live in? Uh, so I live in Kentucky. So decent wildlife here. Uh, I don't think it's anything too crazy. I mean, everything I have is pretty much anywhere in the Eastern U.S. Um, nothing crazy unique here, but it's a good time. Yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, it's, and I still live in Pennsylvania now. Yeah, same wildlife, same salamanders, same fish. Yeah, real similar. Yeah, yeah it, I think it it shocked me. Like, I didn't know if you had some, like, crazy outdoor background because you make it seem so nonchalant. You share these videos where you're walking around, you find a baby snapping turtle and then you find water snakes. And I'm like, it just, it seems crazy that you're out there just finding all this. I, it just seems like you're on a whole nother level. Yeah. It's a Tuesday afternoon for me. Yeah. So maybe for people who don't know, um, I found out who you were on uh, somebody shared a TikTok video and they said, check out this guy and his eel pit. And I'm like, what an eel pit? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And like, I think the the video that he shared with me, it looked like a manhole cover and mm -hmm. somebody's voice. Obviously now I know it was your voice and they, that you proceed to open up this manhole cover and go down into at what initially I thought was your basement. And it's like filled with water and stone. And you're talking about how you have an eel pit and you're getting ready to have eels put inside of this. And it, I, ha I had to like watch it a couple of times to make sure that I heard what I thought that I heard. And I instantly was like, I got to have this guy on the podcast. So can you maybe explain to me how someone comes to wanting an eel pit, I'm assuming underneath your house? Yep. Yeah. So it's, a, it's actually a rainwater cistern under my garage. Um, but uh, so like I said, I've always been keeping native fish um, and eels have always been on my list. Um, American eels, they're super cool. I always thought about doing them in a pond because they can actually handle the cold really well. Um, but the problem with that is that they actually, on rainy nights, they actually can escape and walk over land for short distances. Um, so they don't always stay in outdoor ponds. Um, so it happened, I think back in March is when we got this house. Um, and like about a week before we moved in, um, I just see the manhole cover in the corner. It's like, why is that there? What's that? Because um, I, I always do go out exploring. I like caves. Um, I explore storm drains sometimes, um, just anywhere I can get. Um, abandoned buildings. Um, so I immediately saw it and like, that's something that might just be a storm drain, but that might be something cool. So it was, I looked down there and then that's one of the first videos on my TikTok is I already said like, oh, cool. My new house comes with an eel pond. Um, knew right away what I was doing with it. So, uh, but yeah, then over the next, next couple of weeks from there, um, that's when I put the light down there, the filter, got everything running, um, started trying to clean it up. And then it was just the biggest struggle has been just moving all those cinder blocks and gravel, the cinder blocks more than anything. Yeah. I was going to ask you the, the work that you had to do from the time that you, you, I guess, identified that you had this underneath your garage till you were able to start filling it with water 
or I guess it fills with water on its own. And uh, yeah, so I reopened the gutter, and actually, while when I first looked down there, it was had two foot of standing water in it that was like crystal clear because nothing had disturbed it. So it was like like clear as glass. It was crystal clear. Um, so yeah, it was the uh, just right away. Uh, but yeah, the main struggle has just been the cinder blocks. Um, I can only fit about eight to ten cinder blocks in my car at a time, and I've probably got probably close to a hundred down there. But now. And that's just for footing and like, what's the purpose of the cinder block? Um, yeah, so it actually double purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So I can walk kind of safely. Like people want me to fill it deeper. And it's like, I don't want to go like four cinder blocks high. That's just sketchy, shaky. And then also that's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, the cinder blocks are mainly for me to walk, but then they also double as like hiding places for the eels and the fish. Um, Cause they love snaking their way through that. Um, that's like, if I, if I look down there right now, I'll probably see maybe two or three eels. Um, there's a dozen down there. So most of the time they're all just hidden in the cinder blocks um, until they smell food and they kind of start moving. So do you do anything in terms of treating the water? Like, or is everything going on down there completely natural aside from, I know you put like, I kind of, I guess, feed, but it's all, I saw you putting spiders. I know you have like worms that you're feeding which I, I, I want to get into just, I mean, you have a name for all these different eels, which is hysterical. It's I don't know how time. the hell you can keep a, if you're, if you really know which ones are which, but um, everything's natural down there. Um, yeah. So like the spiders and stuff, those just showed up. I put water striders down there that they're the ones that skim on the surface. Um, I should filter the rooftop. I'm getting that figured out just cause I don't want that asphalt sediment. It's a really old roof. So like most of it's been washed away over the years, but I still want to try to get some kind of carbon filter um, going in with the gutter. Um, but right now, I mean, when it rains, it just washes out and I just pump it out. So it, it, I think the water changes are big enough that it won't affect anything, uh, but I do want to make sure it doesn't. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's all self-sustaining. I have a filter down there now, um, but like I said, um, the waste and everything, none of that's building up even yet. Like it rains and then it automatic sump pump kicks on, free water change. Um, nothing to worry about. That's really interesting. So I know obviously there's eels, but what mm -hmm. other species of wildlife do you have? And it looked like there's actually wildlife in there that you don't or didn't go out and find to put yeah. in there, but just kind of like managed to find themselves into in, inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So let me just go back like uh, chronologically. Um, yeah. First thing I put down there in my second video, this is like the first video went like got maybe 10,000 views, which was a lot at the time. Um, I had 200 followers on TikTok before this. Um, so the very first video of me looking in a hole in my garage saying, oh, my house comes with an eel pond. Cool. Uh, that got like 10,000 views in the first couple of days. Um, then the next video was before I did anything, I wanted I wanted fish in there from day one. So like if I kick up the sediment and everything dies, it's like, well, I got to rethink all this. Um, so I wanted fish in there, just something alive in the water. Like, so I knew like chemically, like stuff I can't test for if the asphalt on the roof, is, if there is something toxic in there, chemically, I want something alive in there to see, make sure everything's going to stay alive. Cause I can check the water conditions, but th those all test great. I mean, nothing's been in there for 20 years. Um, so yeah, I put fish in, uh, in the second video and that one within probably two weeks got 3 million views. Um, and it's just me pouring gold. It's a bad one to go viral. It's me pouring fish in a dark hole. <laughs> what kind um, of fish? Uh, those were goldfish, just regular dollars, like, well, like 10 cents goldfish. Um, so yeah, that was the first, first fish that went in was uh, a dozen goldfish. 
Um, then once I had my walkways and I changed out some of the water, kind of cleaned up the bottom as best I could. Um, and then I had a little platform built down there. That's when I added the three dozen minnows, just little rosy minnows. Um, super common, another little 10 cents fish, feeder fish really. Uh, from there, I think it was probably a couple weeks after that, I added the channel catfish. Um, I went to the hatchery over in Cincinnati and uh, added six channel catfish. And those guys are starting to grow now. They're getting a little bit bigger, um, doing well with the eels. And then I've started collecting my own fish. Like I added a bunch of mosquito fish, uh, maybe like 200 mosquito fish. Those ones will actually breed in there. Like the goldfish and minnows will probably get eaten by the eels and not ever reproduce. Uh, but the mosquito fish like give birth like once a month. So they'll breed regularly enough that they can get eaten here and there and be fine. Um, so the mosquito fish, the water strider bugs, um, the salamander is one that just showed up on its own. It's a northern slimy salamander. Um, and they, they live their entire life on land. They don't actually even need water. So he mainly hangs out like on the cinder block, kind of side edges of the cinder blocks. And uh, he actually walks across the walls too, which is pretty cool. Um, and I've actually found those like miles underground in like caves and uh, abandoned mines. So I'm sure he'll be fine in total darkness. But I do have a light on there with a 12 hour timer. That's something that a lot of people seem to understand. <laughs> So like goldfish, not to get sidetracked, but like what, what is their natural environment? Where do they come from? Uh, so goldfish are, uh, they're actually like true wild name is Crucian carp. So they're a type of small carp um, from China. Uh, so they are actually like super invasive here in the U.S. because they can handle the cold water. Um, but yeah, they're just a carp species. So they, like they, they range everywhere. Like there's not an environment goldfish couldn't thrive in. Got it. They can live in like zero degree water or 90 degree water and they'll be totally fine. Same with the eels really too. The eels actually range like uh, the entire North American East Coast, um, Florida to Canada, um, pretty much every habitat you can imagine. They live in caves like uh, the Florida oh, aquifer, whatever the word for it is, the uh, Florida caves, spring fed caves. They live underground there. Um, they live in swamps. They live in cold, uh, rocky water. These ones specifically came from Maine. Uh, but it's all the same species, so super adaptable. They'll survive just about any conditions as well. What was the fascination with eels? Why why did you have this desire to at some point have an eel pond? Yeah, so eels specifically, they're probably one of the weirder North American fish. Um, they also look really cool, I think. They're like such, I don't like fish that look like fish. Like bass and bluegill are like the most boring things in the world to me. So um, eel, eel is a fish? Oh yeah, they're just, yeah, they're a ray finned fish. Um, their, their biology is really crazy too, though. Uh, but yeah, they're just considered a fish. So everyone's also always asking me, like, are the eels going to breed down there? Um, so they start out life out in the Sargasso Sea is where they're born. Um, then they swim all the way up river, um, like all the way up the Mississippi River. I think they can be found like up in Wisconsin, even rarely. Um, not so much today with the, all the dams and stuff. Uh, but they like swim all the way up the Mississippi River all over the eastern U.S. Like you can find them in Pennsylvania, I'm sure in your area, probably even. Um, but then they actually live in freshwater rivers and streams for 15, 20 years. Um, then they migrate all the way back out to the Sargasso Sea, um, down in the Caribbean, breed and die. Um, so that's really hard to replicate in captivity. So mine will not be breeding. Um, but the cool thing is when you keep them contained like this, they actually live like forever, like 80 years, like I'd, I'll like safely say 50 to 80 years is possible. Um, there's a European eel in Oh, people were just correcting me. I think it was Sweden um, that actually lived 155 years in a well. 
um, like documented, like they, on this day, we put an eel in the well and then 155 years, that same eel was still in the well. Wow. So it massively increases their lifespan. Like they just basically live forever if they don't have access to go back to the sea. Are there any legalities of having something like that inside of your property? So it's just a rainwater cistern that I added fish to. So I don't think so. Every house on this street has a cistern. Mine just happens to have fish in it. I don't <laughs> think like I don't think they wrote that into law that you can't put fish in them. Have you had like anybody in the neighborhood that's figured out that you're the guy on TikTok, the um, eel guy, the eel pit guy? I have. So I I work in pet stores, um, um, and my customers have definitely like nice TikTok man. <laughs> Like uh, my customers have recognized me. Um, we showed my immediate neighbors because um, we have a whole zoo. Um, but I don't think anyone's like found out like that's that's yours, right? It's uh, we've told everyone. It's a good time. So interesting. I, I did want to get your thoughts. So I'm as some kind of like as I mentioned early on, someone like you as a child, like I would catch garter snakes and. Uh, Geez, I even, we even caught a, a water moccasin one time and threw it in, a, in an aquarium. But um, I recently had Phil Demers on. Um, I don't know if that name's familiar. Um, he was a Marine Land trainer. And we were talking, like, my questions for him, because he's since been, like, very outspoken about Marine Land. And he had a walrus that was named Smooshy. And Smooshy still is inside of Marine Land, and they were mistreating it. It was, it was a big, long story for anybody that wants to listen. You can check it out. But he talked about imprinting and how this walrus imprinted on him and thought that he was the mother and that it was a very rare thing. But, you know, my question that was like, well, you know, did the other animals act differently that didn't imprint? And, you know, his, his thought was, yes, they definitely did. You know, they had kind of been taken away. I was like, man, you're making me rethink everything. You know, I've had fish. I have a dog. Like for somebody like yourself, you know, because I always I, I always want to get both perspectives. And you are so interesting. And I'm like, okay, eels are, you know, like you're probably giving them an even better and cooler existence. And to your point, extending their life and you know, I think it's pretty interesting, quite honestly, you're you documenting it and sharing it with people. Um, at least from, from my experience has been pretty positive. And I can't imagine that the eels that you had brought from Maine are like pissed off that they're or not too upset about it. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So like, I certainly don't want it to come across as me like, you know, no, yeah, throw this at you. But I, I do want to get your thoughts, especially because you said you work in a pet store, right? Mm -hmm. That where, where is that line? Is there a line from certain animals that should or shouldn't be in captivity? Yeah, I would say like, so it's, it's hard to say like SeaWorld's a rough example. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like the worst of the worst examples probably. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's like comparing an eel to like a walrus or a high, higher mammal. That's like vastly different. Um, for sure. Um, I, I actually don't keep anything warm blooded. Um, I just have uh, fish and reptiles mainly. Um, it's so, and and I, I do fully believe like imprinting, like that that for sure probably happened with that walrus and that's really messed up. Um, that's just how it happens a lot of times in, in certain zoos and stuff. Mm 
Um, and I'd say most zoos do really good work. Um, SeaWorld's that rough one where it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not great. The situation is what it is now. Like those animals sh probably shouldn't be released into the wild. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they should absolutely be given as much stimulation as they can and the best, best environment possible. Um, but like most zoos, I'd say any like accredited zoo, I'm sure is doing, doing good work. Um, and, and in many cases too, I will say, um, like just like my Australian lungfish is an endangered species in the wild. Um, but I have it with microchips and permits from a, actually a captive bred farm. So it's like things like that, that can actually save species too. Um, not like I'm, I'm speaking more of just as a numbers thing. Sure. Um, there are certain species like the, uh, Mexican axolotl. Uh, that one, I think they reintroduced it successfully now, um, but for a while, a while there, it was uh, functionally extinct in the wild. Um, but you can find one at a pet store for 20 bucks at the time while they're extinct in the wild. Yeah, I mean, that's, I try to be as open-minded as, as I possibly can, as I mentioned, right? Like, mm -hmm. I had this conversation with Phil and it's, um, you know, his story was something that I followed. He's been on Joe Rogan a number of times and, you know, I... I I found it very commendable, courageous that he really has spoken up. And then for the last 10 years, he's been in litigation with uh, Marine land because of what he said. And they've kind of thrown a bunch of bogus lawsuits at him, but he was even like, Hey, I used to have fish, you know? And he's like, I, you know, I don't look at somebody who has a fish as a bad person and, and things like that, but it just, it always finds to me, it's like a diff it's that difficult conversation of like, where is that line? Um, and I do you, think there is a line for sure. Like what should be available to, to the pet trade? Like I, I can only really speak on the pet trade and bad things happen in the pet trade undeniably. Yeah. You mentioned only cold blooded as opposed to warm blooded. Is there a reason behind that? Like a, um, a certain delineation between the two? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me personally, cold blooded is just way easier to care for. Um, just lower metabolism. They don't need fed daily even. Um, and they're just a lot cleaner to work with. Like a lizard is way easier to keep clean than like a pet rat. Um, pet rats, you have to clean constantly. They're constantly pooping. Um, but also just like this, like you said, the stimulation that they need, um, is much easier. A fish is pretty content just to swim back and forth in its tank. If it's a properly sized tank, um, those eels probably don't know that they're all that contained. Um, it's a 20 foot by 12 foot enclosure. Um, they probably don't know any better. Um, so like if it was a mammal, like I, I always see people keeping monkeys as pets and stuff. Like, how do you have a job? Like, I don't even have a dog because I don't think I could care for a dog properly, uh, with a full-time job that I'm not at home for. Yeah. I'm like, a, like I said, I'm a snake guy. So I've mm -hmm. always, you know, and up until my conversation with Phil, I've always kind of been like, man, I really want to get like a real legit, you know, maybe a really cool ball Python with a cool color pattern and, you know, I've had all these grand ideas and it's been a struggle to try to convince my wife to yeah. allow me to have it at least inside of the house. Um, but mm -hmm. when I talked to Phil, I was like, oh shit, like, I don't know if I should change my perspective. Like, where's that line? Yeah. And I that's just... another thing. That's another thing though, is like, what is a ball Python doing in the wild? It's like, yeah, he'll move around. He'll kind of crawl around here and there, but like, they're mainly nocturnal for the most part. They just want to stay under their rock all day. Um, in one area like that's a big consideration too is like um I, I work in uh saltwater stores where i worked for the last two years i'm switching to a freshwater store right now um but like i don't feel bad for like an, a moray eel like a four foot moray eel 
in a 300 gallon aquarium. I don't feel too bad for that eel because in the wild, it wants to sit under a rock all day. Um, but I feel bad for the 12 inch fish that in the wild is swimming on huge reefs. I mean, swimming miles a day sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that's like, what is its natural behaviors? Most, most cold blooded animals are pretty sedentary. Um, so that's a big difference is they don't need these massive enclosures like you, I would want for like a bird or something. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You say bird. That's one that I know kind of bugs me when you think mm -hmm. about like, uh, like a parrot that will get its wings clipped and it's like contained inside of a little cage and people like walk by it and just say, Hey, you know, do you want a cracker or Hey, I, yeah. yeah. 10 say minutes, fun. 10 minutes outside. And I think would have the most exercise it's ever gotten in its life. Yeah. 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 It's rough. And I even, I mean, now that I think about it, I had an ant that I think they may even still have a bird. Oh God. I got to talk to them. Yeah. It's parrots. Parrots. If you do it right, but I just, who has the free time? I just don't understand how anyone has the amount of free time that something like that to do right would take. Yeah, no, that's strange. But uh, you know, you mentioned zoos, most, most zoos do it right. Oh, absolutely. I, know, I fully support most. Yeah. It, I've looked into it because again, it's like, I have two little boys. My wife's like, let's take them to the zoo. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like after <laughs> I had this conversation, I can't support it. But then I, you know, just as a logical person, I look into it and I find that most of what I'm seeing are animals that were injured in the wild that were rescued and now are being taken care of. And I guess, I mean, I guess it's that, again, it's that muddy line, but um, I think to your point, most do it right. And I, I don't know what the real answer is. Like they're, they're here. Like, what do we do with all the animals then? if we think zoos are bad. Right. So I think it's mm -hmm. to your point, it's how do we find the good aspects of captive animals and in, in what we're doing and how do we replicate that and continue to make it good and better and, you know, a positive all around if that's mm -hmm. possible. And I'll even talk on like, this is probably an even more controversial opinion. Um, so like I have, they're not endangered yet, but they're like certainly not doing well. A lot of it is from the pet trade. Um, Indian star tortoises are one I'm currently working with. Um, we have two adults and they actually just had 12 or 13 babies. Um, so like if it's a numbers game, like it, it, it sounds horrible, but like commercializing certain species, like can do wonders for the species. Um, like the Chinese and Japanese, uh, giant salamanders, they're a really good example of this. Um, that you've probably seen them, the big four or five foot salamanders. Um, they actually farm raise those now, um, by the millions, like. They were, there was something, something that was like the Japanese one specifically, there were so few left. Um, but now you can actually buy color morphs in the pet trade in Asia. They sell like piebald ones, like ball pythons, where there's all crazy colors of them, um, of Japanese giant salamanders. Um, there's like the North American hellbender salamander. I think like if you gave the right person a breeding pair of those, I mean, the risk would be way, way alleviated of them actually going extinct. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. There's there's certain examples of where that could could work, um, like like the axolotl is another great one. Um, a lot of the axolotls in captivity now are hybrids, but there are like still those pure group of like the pure wild genes um, that are out there. Yeah, I mean, we had talked even about how like dogs, for example, right? Over years and years, dogs have domesticated themselves, and 
dogs would be in danger if they were left mm-hmm. to fend for themselves, right? They've kind of come to rely on humans in, in a lot of and, ways. And that's a lot of the zoo animals too run into that issue. Like there's a lot of stuff you, you just shouldn't let go again after, after it's been in captivity. Um, that also runs the huge risk of uh, introducing diseases too. Um, that's a huge thing in the pet trade is uh, absolutely no chance this thing ever escapes because what can it do to native like amphibians is a big one. Um, there's a really common frog species in the pet trade called an African clawed frog. And uh, it actually introduced the uh, chytrid fungus, if you've ever heard of that, that's wiping out native frogs now. Really? Mm-hmm. That's why like, there's a huge amphibian issue right now in the US. It's been going on for a few years. I think it might be starting to tone down. Um, but yeah, for the longest time, that was a huge, huge fear. So actually, now you, you kind of uh, jogged my memory. I think I saw a photo of you holding a Burmese python. Yes, in the Everglades. Okay, so um, I had a gentleman on. I had a gentleman on the podcast named Justin Cabolta. I don't know if that name's familiar to you. He's a, a, an exotic ball python breeder. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot. Yeah, this guy sells snakes for tens of thousands of dollars. He's one of the top. Actually, a marketing guy. After I talked with him, found out that he's got a marketing degree, got into exotic snake breeding, and has taken that and has a super cool Instagram page. And as a snake lover, I've kind of started to follow that and see what he was doing. But I asked him about um, the Everglades and the problem with the ball python or the Burmese pythons. And I was surprised he didn't really have a whole lot to share with me about it. But I knowing as somebody that like yourself has been down there, I mean, what can you share about that? Because from my understanding, that's only going to continue to increase as a problem, unless something drastically is done. And so here's my observation on it um, that I don't see people talking about. Um, freshwater fish in the Everglades are a lost cause. Uh, there's, there's none left. Um, every fish we saw in freshwater in the Everglades um, was an invasive species besides Florida gar, um, which are basically indestructible. Um, we didn't see a bluegill in the Everglades. We didn't see a native bass. Um, it was all South American and Central American cichlids. Um, we saw a couple invasive eels, some invasive catfish. We didn't see a single native freshwater fish besides gar um, in the Everglades. So that like, and I've never heard it described as that bad. Like we didn't see a bluegill in the Everglades. What do you think of the cause of this is? Because I heard that, and it's, I don't know if there's any way to prove it, that during Hurricane Andrew, maybe a um, some sort of, I don't even know what you would call it. Uh, the Burmese, the Burmese uh, breeder. Yeah, that something like happened during the hurricane, and those were then washed into the Everglades, and then everything happened from that. You know, because other people would say, "Oh, it's you know, people let go their exotic pets," and that's it, all of it. Crazy, but yeah, no, it's it's for sure both. Um, like I'm sure there was a Burmese python population before that. Um, and I'm sure that boosted it up massively. I, I think that was a Burmese facility, specifically the one you're thinking of. So there's there's actually there's a probably multiple. There's a documented case though where a Burmese facility. I believe had, so. They said like 200 snakes got loose. Yeah, okay. I, I, I believe so. It's been so long since I read it. Um, but yeah, but there's I mean there's fish farms everywhere in Florida, and they they breed them in outdoor ponds. Like it's not not the most secure thing. Um, but it, it's it's for sure a combination of all of it. A, a hurricane blows through. Um, people want to save their aquarium fish. They get tired of their aquarium fish. Um, 
and even like they have a backyard pond oh i'll throw it out there and then all of a sudden their backyard pond is underwater in the next hurricane um it's a combination of everything and i'm sure people do like oh i want this cool invasive species in this pond that's what they're doing with the uh, chameleons now is they're just going around spreading chameleons around which is super cool to have down there but also not good for the environment is there like a legitimate higher propensity for this type of stuff with people in florida as well i know it's like a joke but i i mean does that add to it it's it's a it's a certain crowd in florida for sure uh there's there's some weird weird people down there keeping pets i'll be honest but i've also heard stories of people like oh i'm gonna go drive my python down there and set it free like i've i've heard that before from people really like well that's that's yeah it's it's insane like the the pet trade's messed up I, i will say like as much as i'm in the pet trade there's bad things everywhere and a couple bad apples spoil the bunch. Mm-hmm. Are these snakes dominant even over the native alligators that are living in the Everglades? Because I've seen some bizarre videos of very large Burmese pythons eating, you know, a, a juvenile or semi-juvenile alligator, which I mean. Um, in my own experience, I think it goes both ways. I mean, the alligators eat the pythons here and there, too um we saw tons of alligators i will say we saw one python uh we probably saw 20 or 30 like separate individual alligator sightings um so it seems like the alligators themselves are doing fine but i, I do wonder like i do worry like then what is that doing with the american crocodiles um, which those are the actual endangered ones down in south florida um, the alligators are pretty common everywhere in florida i believe now hmm. yeah i also heard that potentially every once in a while when there's a freeze that mm-hmm. that can kind of kill off a, a mass amount of them and you know kind of help regulate the population but uh, i'm like thinking if you're saying that hurricane andrew was a large contributor to this okay let's even give it 10 years since then so now are we like 2005 that's almost 20 years i think there's probably been a handful of freezes since then right i mean like yeah I, is that wishful thinking uh they're not uh, but but also every every time there's six that survive that big freeze well those six ones are cold tolerant those are the ones that are breeding and that are left over so like i don't think it'll happen it won't happen in our lifespan i guarantee that Uh, but there's like these things could start heading north um it's possible just because the ones that do survive the freeze are going to be the cold hardy ones that slowly slowly creep up over generations Hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, it'd take five, 600 years at least for them to even get to North Florida. Um, but it's, it's possible. Yeah. I don't know. It, it the, the freeze regulates a lot of it. Cause a lot of this stuff is like from Madagascar, uh, Africa, um, where there's just not, it's subtropical in Florida and these things are true tropical species. A lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it, it will continue to wipe out, but a lot of it's just going to be limited down to the Everglades and. It's very south miami dade county down there they can they can keep it yeah it makes a good vacation it makes a good uh good collection trip oh it definitely does last time i was in florida i i mean the amount of iguanas that you see is just unreal yeah i'm mm-hmm. like i didn't i didn't re- you hear it but i just you know i didn't realize how prevalent it actually was and uh, a lot of that stuff that's why i feel it's i mean yeah you can kill a hundred of them but there's a thousand of them that you don't even see yeah yeah a hundred percent so you mentioned caves and all kinds of other interesting things that you've done are you like just going off on your own exploring random places to find animals do you just have some 
itch that you always need to scratch when it comes to, you know, uh, adrenaline? Like what, what's the story, Nick? A little bit of all of it. I just like, I love exploring and I like seeing cool animals. Um, so yeah, uh, me and my friend, we'll go out and, oh, I think there's a cool, uh, cave kind of system over here. We'll just drive two hours and go, go see what we can find. Um, Kentucky's my area, I think is really boring around like directly around Cincinnati, but two hours in any direction, there's cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of abandoned mines down in central Kentucky. Um, the mountains, the Appalachian mountains go through Eastern Kentucky. What kind so of things pretty, are you, what kind of things are you finding? Um, like animal wise. Yeah. What's the, I mean, as far as the craziest type of stuff that you've come across animal, I guess, uh, animal and not animal. Abandoned mines for sure. Um, I'm trying to think the Cincinnati subway system. We explored that. Um, there's good, there's good stuff. <laughs> the abandoned mines are crazy though. Like just to see, like we, we went to this, uh, a mine and, uh, we when we went in we saw a guy drive a jeep in at the same time we went in uh, a jeep a whole car drove in same time we walked in and we didn't see him the entire time the rest of the time we were exploring that mine it's that it was that big that there's a car driving around down here somewhere and we can't even hear it hear or see it um so yeah stuff like that's crazy but then also like while we're going through that mine there's they're called spring salamanders and red salamanders they're like a bright bright neon red um and they're just living in like puddles around the mine floor um snakes all kinds of cool snakes i haven't found a rattlesnake yet that's the big one on my list is a kentucky timber rattler um but like animal wise it doesn't get much better than what we saw down in florida um <laughs> shaking my net at that alligator when it charged up out of the water um all the cichlids all the invasive like the invasive fish down there was just so mind-blowing to me um, because that's like fish I, I've sold for the last 10 years in pet stores. And it's like, oh, there's that, there's that, there's that. There's a spiny peacock eel. There's walking catfish. There's hoplo catfish. It's just all, all the species I like know very well from aquariums, just in the wild. Yes. I mean, to your point then, it would have to be people who are keeping these as captive pets that let them out or something happens because how else are certain ones they're, like they're all coming from different parts of the world, right? Yeah. Like, like the, uh, the hoplo catfish, it's like a little armor plated catfish like this. Um, that one is like a really common food fish from South America. Like they like fry them in their skin and then they just crack them open and eat them. Um, so that one's probably, yeah, someone from South America, let a couple of those go to come back and eat them. Like the snakeheads, those came from the Asian markets, the walking catfish, probably same thing. Um, but then it's like Oscars and jewel cichlids and peacock bass, like jewel cichlids are a fish that gets like three inches. Like that's not a food fish. That was clearly an aquarium release on that one the peacock eels no one's like raising those for food um the swamp eels that's one that was probably released as food from asian markets there's a asian swamp eel that gets about two three foot we caught a bunch of those um but yeah it just depends like a lot of it's aquarium species though yeah well if you want to see rattlesnakes make a drive up to the pennsylvania region where i'm at in north kind of northwestern pennsylvania i'm in actually just north of pittsburgh now but where i grew up there's a little bit more north a little more northeast actually kind of directly south of buffalo mm -hmm. i don't know how long of a drive that would be for you but there's a, a state forest that i mean i have friends that go and send videos of is that the mountainous part like the appalachian kind of the northern yeah it's, yeah. it's very mountainous and there's a lot of caves and and things like that but you know, once every month in the summertime, I'll see somebody local that'll post a video 
just hiking and come across a whole pit of oh, rattlesnakes, nice. you know, That's like awesome. 20, 30 of them. And some of them, you know, eight to 10 feet long. So it's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of cool stuff up in that neck of the woods. Heading to Arizona at the end of the month. What's out there? Rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes. <laughs> Rattlesnakes. Uh, we want to see a Gila monster, scorpions, um, anything we can come across. And are you just exploring, finding that, or are you capturing those as well? Uh, those are all native. So, we, yeah, we're just looking. Like a lot of the invasive lizards we brought back with us to actually sell, sell or keep ourselves. Um, but, yeah, all that stuff's all native. So, yeah, we're just going to go look, take pictures, get a cool picture of us holding something, and then let them all go right where we found them. Um, I might try to bring back – the problem is we're flying out there, so I don't know. I don't know how well a scorpion in my luggage would go. That's about the only thing I would want from Arizona, I think, to keep would be scorpions. Okay. Do you know who Jay uh, Jay Brewer, I think is his last name, Jay's Prehistoric Pets? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I, I recognize that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've watched his stuff. Yeah. I was just out in Los Angeles prior to my conversation with Phil – Again, it was like this whole, I felt like the universe was putting me in these situations to kind of test my, my uh, soul or in some mm-hmm. kind of being a little overdramatic, but um, went and saw him. And I mean, the snake collection was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he had gaboon vipers that were on display and all kinds of very large pythons and even native species, but um, the rattlesnakes just, man, they were ridiculous. And he talked to me a little bit about how he had taken some trips to, I think, somewhere in the desert of California, and they're a smaller version of the eastern diamondback, but um, I, I don't know if it's a western diamondback or a desert something, but uh, mm-hmm. really, really cool, almost like an orangish-brown color to match the sand. But Yeah, there's some beautiful ones out there. There's a, there's a, a dusky rattle, or a dusky pygmy rattlesnake. It's like a really dark brown with like orange striping, orange spotting. Um, that's a really cool one out on the east coast. There's, there's all kinds of, I don't know my desert rattlesnakes, but there's tons of them and they all look slightly different. So before I let you go, I got to ask you the, what is cow turtle? What is, where, where uh, does this come from? So like I said, I've had that YouTube channel forever. Uh, it's just whatever I picked probably in eighth grade or before that even. Okay. Um, so that was, so YouTube was like your very first. Yeah. Yeah. That, that goes, there's videos on there that definitely go back probably to, uh, before high school if i had to guess okay i had no idea yeah i didn't even know you had a youtube channel i've been just looking mm-hmm. at the videos on tiktok and instagram yeah and scroll back on my instagram you'll see way crazier stuff than the yield pit i took down a lot of it though just for legal purposes <laughs> so it's at cow turtle nine four two seven yes that's my instagram um and then youtube and tiktok are both just cow turtle okay you told me you said you were doing something on reddit today where can what other uh, places are you yeah, so I've actually, um, the Reddit thing fell through for some reason that uh, this Mel magazine I did an interview with, they want me to do an AMA on there. Um, but that, for whatever reason, Reddit didn't like the idea or something, and it fell through. Um, but then I have the local news is actually coming at 3.30 right after this. Um, and then the big, like, Cincinnati news is uh, coming tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, a lot of interviews have been going on. Are they re- like releasing local stories? Yeah. Uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer was just here last week. Their story just came out. So all the other like news stations, that's a really cool story. Let's go talk to this guy. What, is all factored and centered around the eel pit? Uh, yeah, that's where we're starting. But then they also want to, you know, the big tour of all the animals. Okay. All right. Interesting. No, man, this is, 
like I said, I, I really wanted to talk with you kind of, A, I, I just am very interested in people who, I mean, you, you've kind of gone all in, so to speak, right? I mean, it's, you've not half-assed it and it's, I can relate to that, obviously not with an eel pit, but other things mm-hmm. that I've done, even with a podcast, you know, just being like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's also like part of it of being online. Like you can't show bad animal care online and expect not to get torn apart. Um, so I make sure everything, especially if I'm filming is everything is top of the line, spotless, um, all up to, up to the internet standards. Um, but that's like something nobody talks about online either though, is like the bad side of the pet trade, which it definitely, definitely is. Like, I'm sure like Jay Brewer out there is like, Oh yeah, it's great. Everyone should have a snake. It's like, yeah, not everyone. No, I, I appreciate that you say that because I think that's how you can have or shine a light on responsible ownership. What you see online is usually the best of people. Yeah. It's, isn't that the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. You know, especially, especially uh, I've come across that a lot on Instagram. You know, you people live behind a facade that's very easily controlled, but definitely I've noticed with your videos, they're very informative. They're very, you know, you're respectful. You seem like you've got a lot of knowledge that you're sharing with people, which is it's, it's knowledge that I don't know, man, it's like you, you aren't going to find it anywhere else. So kudos to you for sharing it. And uh, yeah, what I, I gotta ask, I mean, what is the strangest thing that's come out of this whole experience for you? of this honestly like i've been doing this for so many years i've gotten weird dms before it's so it's 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 the amount is more than anything it's like like i like after this i'll get off and i'll have 20 dms of random randomness so nothing nothing too crazy though definitely just the news like the journalists because like i have a friend that's like tiktok famous also like way way more than me he's got like nine million followers but like the amount of interest like from journalists, from everything is kind of crazy. Yeah. Is there a reason you think that TikTok was like, I'm, I have zero, um, really zero experience. I haven't a TikTok account. And now mm-hmm. as, as I talk to you, I'm like, maybe I need to get on TikTok and start using that because you're the second or third person recently that's talked about really the power or how quickly, you know, you said, Hey, I had 200 followers and then, you know, your content caught fire. And I feel like with Instagram, Facebook and even YouTube, it's it's a lot harder to crack that algorithm yeah. compared well, to the TikTok. Yeah, it's super easy to go viral on TikTok, and I hate it, but uh, Instagram's doing the same thing now with Reels. Um, so, like, some of my TikTok followers followed me over to Instagram, um, but I also did my first like update on my Eel Pit on my Instagram. I did a Reel, and it, it immediately went to like I think it's at three or four million views now. Um, and that's what actually brought me to a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. I, I like after TikTok blew up, I maybe had two thousand followers, maybe. Um, and then that one one reel went viral on Instagram. So the reels that it's it's just Instagram turning into TikTok, um, which I hate. It's awful, but uh, the algorithm works for me. So, well, shit, man, lean into it, enjoy it. You, know, you, seem, you seem like a genuine dude who just actually enjoys what you're doing. So. I commend you for that and wherever it takes you in life. And uh, yeah, man, I I appreciate you taking some time to come on here and talk to me about what for me is, you know, just so curious, but um, yeah, thank you for sharing it with me. Awesome. Yeah. No problem at all.